0: 703 let us get started good evening all to the 61st session of the weekly huddle i'm your host anup and joining me today is my friend and co-host Pranith. we are a couple of cardiologists working at uh, care hospital banjara hills and uh, we have been doing this uh, weekly uh, session for the past uh, 61 weeks so this is our 61st uh, episode As most of, you know, the huddle is an unscripted audience level interaction where we address common clinical scenarios that we encounter in our daily practice. We typically pick up a topic or a clinical case, like what we are doing today and we restrict our discussion around that. The basic premise of the hurdle is to bring our casual hallway discussions to a more organized platform like this 1. And share our ideas While we do welcome signs and guidelines with the huddle we intend to help a physician translate established knowledge to clinical practice taking local factors and practice patterns into account this is not a speaker and an audience model rather a casual interaction which means that any one of the attendees they can raise their hand or unmute themselves if they have anything to say or give their input as a courtesy you should wait for others to finish their thoughts before uh, you unmute yourself so having said that let me start uh, today's uh, clinical case And then uh, I will, as a customary, I always ask uh, my co-host Praneet for his initial impression. And then uh, we go down our attendees, the list uh, of our attendees. And ask their uh, input. So, with this, let me get started and uh, before I do so. My heartfelt thanks to Dr. Vishwakrant. Dr. Vishwakrant is one of our cardiologists. Uh, he practices out of a Care Hospital Mushirabads primarily. And uh, he's senior to me. And uh, the case that we are discussing today is actually Dr. Vishwakrant. So, sir, thank you so much for doing this. It takes a lot of uh, effort and courage to talk about uh, one's own health issues. And uh, discuss it on a public forum, so I really appreciate you accepting my invitation and uh, let's see if we can make it a little bit a little bit fun and a little bit knowledgeable at the same time. so having said that, since we have Dr. Vishokrath with us, uh any of the attendees, if they have any particular question about this case, please feel free to directly uh, address it to Dr. Vishokrath. He will be able to Answer it having playing a double role here as a patient as well as. As an established cardiologist, I'm sure Dr. Vishakran will be able to share his perspective to you on both the fronts. So, having said that, let me uh, brief out the case to you. And then we will go uh, to Praneet for his information, and then we will uh, discuss with others. So uh the case that we are discussing today is of a 41 year old male uh i'm sorry dr i'm disclosing your age he's a cardiologist by profession and very good one at that he had been having rapidly progressive fever for 36 hours uh, which uh the uh, patient's opinion it was like he was feeling fine and then it almost hit him suddenly and the fever was uh, accompanied with cough, malaise, and loss of taste. Uh, patient, as uh, is the current scenario, he isolated himself and got himself tested for COVID, which came back positive. So he has a positive report, I believe, by day three of his symptom onset. His oxygen saturation is above 94, and rest of the vitals are reasonably maintained. No routine labs were done at this time. Because he is a healthcare provider, he uh, got uh, the COVID vaccination in the very first phase of vaccination drive that was happening in India. And he got his second dose of COVID shield completed by March 28th. So that is almost like more than uh, uh, two and a half months that he had been vaccinated. He does not have any comorbidities. So here we have a young individual with no comorbidities. Uh COVID symptom, COVID positivity without any red flag signs. He's on day three right now. And the discussion point that we have for this particular case is: should he go for the antibody drug cocktail, which is currently available in India for the past, I would say maybe three weeks or so? And whether he can go for antibody cocktail or not, having the fact that. He had already been vaccinated. So, how does uh, the. vaccination status get his eligibility for uh, this antibody drug cocktail. And then the subsequent discussion point would be, what would the general precautions related to this, this therapy in case if we. Offer this therapy to our patients, what would be. The general precautions that we would uh, ask our patients to follow and now, since we knew about COVID for more than a year or so what are the more contemporary ancillary treatment and investigations that we do in the current covid era i remember we started from hydroxychloroquine to azithromycin to ivermectin to god knows what all and uh, of course remdesivir came in there dexamethasone came in there tocilizumab came in there and there were probably 20 others and uh, not to forget coronil and everything else came in there there, there. so In the current era where we know a little bit about how COVID behaves, what should be the contemporary ancillary treatment and investigation considering this index patient that we are talking about? So, Pranit, on to you. You have a case here, you have a patient in the audience. How would you go about it? Uh, Please share your thoughts, and then we'll go down the list uh, that we have today.
1: Yeah, good evening everyone. Uh, firstly, a uh, special thanks to Vishukan sir for accommodating. Um, Anup, this case, um, I'm here more to learn. Uh, all those questions are equally there in my mind, so I don't think I can add much to it. I have more to learn here than to add here, so I think without wasting much of time, uh, take the opinions of uh, the concerned specialist, and I'm here to learn today. Um, not much to contribute from my side. Okay, Pranith, let us
0: uh, let us then uh, talk to experts that we have. But before I do so, Vishwakant sir, do you want to add anything in terms of your clinical presentation that I missed? Did I cover most of the relevant points or something you want to discuss beforehand?
2: Um, Doctor Anup,
3: am I audible?
0: Yes, sir. You are audible.
3: Thank you very much, Anup, for the invitation. I am enjoying as much as you are being in this part of this huddle. You guys are doing a great job. And this case, I mean, in this in this issue, I mean, I'm glad to have been both as a doctor and also a patient, it's quite rare anyone gets that opportunity, I guess. But like I said, COVID is making us think a lot differently and it has made me think differently as well. As far as my clinical presentation is concerned, I think I, by day three, my COVID uh, report, I, I had sent my TPCR, it was positive. I had classical symptoms, like uh, 101 degrees Fahrenheit fever, sore throat, cough, dry cough, and nasal stuffiness. I mean, these were very, and of course uh, at that time I did not have much loss of smell and space. I still don't have, and those other symptoms were not there. I had calf uh, cough pains to add to that that the time when the fever started, I realized that something is not right. This is not an usual thing. I isolated myself. And then on day three, I got the RT-PCR done. RT-PCR report was there positive with a cycle count of 617, which was you know fairly uh, high viral load. And uh, lab work, which I sent at that time, were all normal including uh, CRPLDH LDH or whatever, what not uh, anyone might ask, I would I would say, CBP showed a viral picture. Other than that, there was nothing in that. And a consultant, a few doctors at every critical care specialist in all three centers, you might say, from Rampalli, Mishirabad and uh, Banjara, everyone suggested it's available, you go for it. And then- Sir, on- oh. so
0: what all yeah. blood
3: you got il6 crp and what else the special LD, test? ldh ferritin you name it whatever is being sent every time for the covid profile and, I, and and the thing is i sent my antibodies at the same time
0: will talk ant- about your is- antibody we should on, sir I, uh, we will talk about your antibodies in a second okay. and uh, d dimer also you sent
3: Yes, yes, yes. Everything. They were,
0: all, they were all normal, I'm guessing.
3: Normal. There was no indication to say in the blood reports that things were going in a downward fashion. Perfect. Then Perfect. there was a suggestion was given. I mean, I took the suggestion and I went ahead the next day with this uh, antibodies. It uh, consists of a light cocktail with uh, two drugs, half of yeah. it 600 Mg twice, which we will go further. And uh, within the I took it in the afternoon by evening my cough subsided by next day morning I had no fever and I became totally asymptomatic uh, 48 hours later totally perfect everything, Thank was, you. I think, everything by 48 hours later and uh, RTPCR report I had sent this uh, maybe I would say day 10 negative perfect 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 it's i repeated it also but if there is any queries if anyone want to ask so i would say as a patient i am a 41 year old healthcare professional who was 3 days into covid taken the lytic, uh, antibody therapy and became asymptomatic in 48 hours and are negative by day 10 if I may put forward in that
0: fashion. Perfect. Thank you so much, sir. And we certainly will have more questions. So uh, let me first get uh, my attendees for their uh, opinion. And then I'm sure we will have uh, more questions or suggestions to ask from you. We have Guru Prasad, sir, here. Guru Prasad, sir, is an internal medicine uh, consultant at uh, Care Banjara. Sir, you heard the case. Walk us through what is your thought process? How would you take it?
4: yeah good evening to all of you and thank you anup and Prineet to have invited me so uh, monoclonal antibody has been a, a subject of debate uh, in whether to use or not to use in patients who are having uh, covid because uh, the the uh, the rationale of use is basically to decrease the viremia and the earlier the use the better it is so uh, here the case in point actually is the is the classic where we have uh, early diagnosis of COVID, and we had the opportunity to use monoclonal antibody. Uh, it would have been fairly simple if this patient was not vaccinated and no, were, uh, he had not received both the vaccines, uh, those are vaccines, and then it makes sense to probably give monoclonal antibody and clear off the virus so that the chance of him going into the inflammatory stage actually uh, comes down dramatically because you have decreased the viral load. But here, because the patient was vaccinated and uh, apparently he had antibodies, he had or didn't have antibodies is what we need to know, actually. So the study which was done in NEGM with monoclonal antibodies, especially the Trump cocktail, which is, which is now being used, or I may use the, uh, the you know, the general name, which are being used, uh, is uh, that uh, they studied patients who got the vaccine, but they didn't have antibodies. So in them, that was one inclusion criteria to uh, use uh, uh, this monoclonal antibody. But again, I will reiterate that uh, uh, even though a minority of patients only need hospital admission and a less and a lesser number of people actually require ICU admission, for the people who became who become sick or who go into ICU, it is like the statistics don't matter anymore. It is hundred percent for them. So for those five percent of patients, if we could have prevented those five percent from going into the hyperimmune stage uh, and reduced the viral load initially. Uh, they would not go into this uh, complication of inflammatory stage so uh, now the toss up is between uh, that because the majority of the patients actually would recover without this therapy are we really warranted in giving this therapy initially because those patients might actually become normal any anyway that's why some guidelines have been formulated where uh, patients with ckd or patients whose bmi is more or people who have uncontrolled type 2 diabetes mellitus or uh, or have some other respiratory problems like COPD. They are the people who are to be included into uh, definitely using monoclonal antibody. That is one risk factor for developing a severe disease. But uh, if a patient asks me that, yeah, we have this therapy, do we really go ahead with this uh, therapy? I would say, why not? Because what we are giving a therapy should, may or may not be efficient, uh, efficacious, it should not cause any harm. So the primary therapy when we, when we use any therapy is that it should cause no harm. And if that endpoint is being fulfilled, then you can give a therapy to, to you know kind of uh, probably ameliorate the patient's symptoms and prevent him from going into an inflammatory cascade. So from uh, from the standpoint of the initial phase of, of the illness, third, fourth day it's difficult to say which patient will go into the inflammatory phase. So, uh, any fundamental in any viral infection is that you reduce the viremia and then you prevent the inflammatory phase from occurring. So, I would actually, uh, I think, commend uh, the critical care doctors of Nampali, Mishra and Banjara to have actually advised uh, Dr. Vishwakran to go ahead and take the monoclonal antibody. But mind it that once you take the monoclonal antibody, if you're not vaccinated, you cannot take the vaccine for next three months.
0: And sir, what is that antibody thing you were saying? If the patient has antibody present after vaccination, then they should not go for monoclonal antibodies.
4: No, it's not that way. Actually, the study in NGM, uh, they wanted to exclude out patients who had antibodies post vaccination as uh, as a part of the study group because they were actually studying the efficacy of uh, of uh, this and imdevimab combination. But uh, there is no hard and fast exclusion in the. Uh, in the product monograph of the um, cocktail antibody so it's like an immune boost so for example uh, there's been a lot of talk about heterogeneous vaccines where we are using two doses of covishield and the third dose now there's a study which has come out that you use mrna vaccine so you're boosting the immunity by using another vaccine now same thing happens when you use a monoclonal antibody basically you are you're boosting the patient's immune uh, the antibodies to fight against the virus so uh, it doesn't really harm the patient uh, uh, in any way to use the uh antibody apart from setting you back by around sixty thousand rupees.
0: And uh, after vaccination, having antibody in your blood versus not having antibody in your blood, is that kind of a discrete way of saying you are protected versus you are not protected? Is there some some thought process around it?
4: So, uh, the studies which have been published by uh, ICMR have uh, actually enumerated, the, if you have taken the vaccine, how many patients are are protected against the disease, uh, against the infection, against uh, moderate disease, and against severe disease. So, severe disease was around 97, 93% to be precise, if I'm not mistaken, with Covishield and Covaxin. Uh, infection was around 60%. So, even if you had taken Covaxin, you must still get uh infected uh with the virus in 40 percent of the times because there is a lot of talk about the antibodies which are there a lot of we are actually looking at antibody titers but again in the antibodies the COVID is such a complicated uh, disease that in even antibodies there are subset of antibodies which are protective against COVID and we and antibodies which may just be innocent bystanders. They may actually not be effective against uh, against COVID. So having a very high titer doesn't really say that you are you know kind of you, you are safe and you are you cannot get the disease. Yes, it may mean that if you get the disease, you may get a milder form of disease and you may not land up in the hospital with a, with a SARS kind of illness. Uh, but having antibody and having no antibody, uh, I would say that people who have, who have an antibody are probably protected against a disease, against a severe disease versus people not having the antibody at all. There have been people who have taken both the doses of vaccines and once they got their antibody tested, uh, there were no antibodies at all. And But there are a lot of immunologists who have, been, who have been talking about it and they're saying that actually what matters is the T-cell memory. The moment you are exposed to a vaccine and uh, your body identifies it, you may not you may not have an immune response immediately to it, but when the actual time comes, there's something called T-cell memory which might, which might just kick in at that point of time and protect you. So that is all speculation at this point of time
0: perfect thank you so much sir uh, we have dr deepak with us dr deepak i believe uh, is a critical care expert sir please correct me if if i'm wrong you heard the case if you could give your th- your thought process and also there is a question in the chat box that uh, what is the fundamental difference between plasma therapy and antibody cocktail deepak
5: please yeah. uh thank you, Dr. Ranup. Uh, let me first uh, say that I'm happy that Dr. restaurant has um, like uh, record very well, and uh it's good to hear from seniors like Dr. Guruprasad sir. So for me, I'm like uh, I usually depends based on the where the stage of the disease is, and uh, it depends on whether the phase of viremia or whether the phase of inflammation has set in. So whatever the antivirals are, uh, like last time we discussed some agents. This time. Yeah, monoclonal antibodies whichever it is we are talking about the stage of viremia so our practice has been at apollo once uh, the symptom onset has started and once the positive result has come uh, the role is as early as possible you will give the antibodies the more the delay is uh, the lesser the benefit it is and for us the practice is we'll uh, like we'll get an antibody test done for the patient neutralizing antibodies uh once that is, um, when we tell the patients that if the antibodies are positive, the chance of uh, the expensive therapy being efficacious is less and less. Whereas if the antibodies are negative and they fall into the stage of uh, early disease, uh, not requiring oxygen especially, and if they have a significant risk factors, the benefit may be more. And we also tell that uh, the risk of progression is less, but we cannot be very sure about it. And uh, the difficulty here being uh, the lack of um, like equalness between uh, measuring the antibodies. So if you see various labs in the city, they give various results. And I've seen people with uh, very high antibody titres in them, some labs uh, getting tested in some other labs uh, having absolutely no antibodies. As uh, told by the previous speaker, the all the theory revolves here and behind that the anti- presence of antibody Itself means that the, the patient has some amount of uh, protection, but it still is a big theory. And uh, all the studies, the study done in the N.J.M. and the subsequent study published, uh, which was comparing the interference versus the monoclonal antibody, uh, they have measured the viral copies, which in actually in real life uh, we are not measuring the viral load of the patient. So for us, I'm like our experience has been limited. We have been using maybe around, I think, one month, I think at at the max one and a half month. Uh, For us, I mean, like uh, one or two, three things which I found is uh, uh, there has been abuse of the antibodies as well, we strictly try to reduce it because uh, later the part of it and uh, the criteria being, uh, you need to have strict criteria. The hospitalized patients, and the oxygen-dependent patients, they should not give it. In fact, it was showed that if you give to those set of patients, the outcomes will be actually worse than the, normal, like the patients who didn't receive it. So, and one or two three things is uh, uh, bradycardia is one thing which we observed. And some patients tend to, the fever tends to flare up, uh, which stand subsequently subside after two or three days. But these two things we observed in our pa- set of patients. And uh, the present uh, new thinking is the high-dose like Casimab plus map. There are two or three studies which came, and the patient is much more sicker. Now they are going for higher doses, so which uh, really doesn't have strong evidence, but I think the evidence is mounting. So maybe we'll see it in the later part of the time. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much,
0: sir. let me see who all is there, and then we
4: will ask Anup, there was some query about the uh, plasma versus monoclonal antibody. Uh, yes. So, if I, if you permit me, can I answer that? Please, sir. Please, please. Guru,
0: sir, go ahead.
4: So, plasma plasma therapy actually uh, uh, is basically has polyclonal antibodies. So, uh, there is no. So, for example. If you, if we go back around 100 years back, there was a study done by uh, Dr. Finland who used actually horse uh, antifera for, uh, for you know, he inoculated the horses with the pneumococcal uh, bacteria and then uh, depending on what the, what subtype of pneumococcus the patient had, the, he used to take out that particular antifera and give to that patient. So that was the initial phases of vaccination. So this is the same principle we're using when you're using monoclonal antibody. Monoclonal antibody is highly specific, like, you know, it is, but the, the current antibodies which you're using is from one patient from uh, USA and the other part is from a patient from Wuhan, China. So basically they clone that antibody and they made it make it monoclonal. So plasma therapy is polyclonal antibodies and monoclonal antibodies as the name suggests is monoclonal. So it is like, uh, it is against the spike protein of the virus. So, uh, theoretically, it is much more efficacious and studies wise also. The primary endpoints, uh, as uh, Dr. Deepak was mentioning, is that viral load and all these things were secondary endpoints in the study. The primary endpoints was a time to discharge and uh, requirement for uh, uh, oxygenation or ventilator, and third was death. These three primary endpoints, uh, actually, um, if they compared to placebo, monoclonal antibodies fed much, much better. Thank you.
0: So, do you know if antibodies are derived from? human or concentrated form of human plasma or they are actually yes. cloned in the lab but they are
4: cloned no, in the no, no 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 they are they are concentrated from the human plasma only that's what i'm saying the the current antibody which is now in trial I'm, I'm forgetting the name one the two uh the two subtypes of the antibodies one is from a patient from the usa second is from a patient from wuhan china so they uh you know kind of they purify it further and make it monoclonal so that's what is given to the patients actually and again they're cloned in the lab so subsequently they're cloned in the lab, the antibodies.
0: So the mass production happens in the lab, I'm guessing, right? That is yes, what you're
4: Yes, exactly. So the origin is from a patient only,
0: right? So the footprint comes from the patient, but then the yes. mass production happens in the lab.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, so yes. There, so there is no risk for uh, antigen reaction in the human body. I'm guessing there is no like antigen particles from some other person.
4: Theoretically, there is a, because uh, as they were saying that uh, any. Uh, immunoglobulin, when we give, there's always a chance of a, uh, something like a serum sickness happening, but that is more with, uh, uh, you know, the uh, animal, like the horse anticera Human uh, antibodies also are known to cause serum sickness. They, in fact, fevers might increase again after you give antibodies and they might, some people develop uh, myocarditis and other, uh, you know, inflammation, something like an MIS, because of the hyperimmune globulin which we are giving. But that has not been shown, at least demonstrated in studies till now, with the monoclonal antibody against COVID-19.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much, sir. Vishwanath, uh, sir, if I if I can have you uh, turn off your mic one more time. So we discussed about the antibody level. That if the antibody level is low, then it is it makes more sense to go for antibody drug cocktail. If you could just share your information. And you also briefly mentioned that after taking the cocktail, you felt better. Could you just walk us through, uh, The steps in terms of what it is to take the antibody cocktail, how long it takes. How is it administered the price associated? And uh, did you experience any side effects with that? Yeah,
3: no, really uh, when I was asked to take the antibodies, I. Did research myself. I mean, to regarding this antibodies in COVID and all, and research. I mean, not going through the net and all. I specifically found out about patient experience who have taken it. It is difficult to trace them as a doctor itself. But then, I have personally asked few of the doctor colleagues who have really given them, and I really found out they, how the patients were feeling. Because some of them were like, you know so i had some relatives to me too exactly everyone says uh, 90% of the time they say this that they are absolutely fine by 48 hours and in fact some aggressively went ahead and did covid rtpcr after 3 or 4 days too i didn't do that but they were negative after 3 or 4 days patient experiences which was one which had made me go through it and that is number one and regarding the Therapy. I mean, the therapy was, you know, it was just two injections. They dilute it in uh, about two hundred ml and fairness and give it slowly initially. IV. There is a notion to give it uh, subcutaneous too, but then we didn't go through all that um, uh, issues. Then slowly, then slowly, uh, precaution should be taken that it is fully diluted, and there will should not be any precipitate when you are diluting it, because the more the precipitate the more chances you will have an anaphylaxis. Anaphylaxis is something you can have because it is of protein and you might have it. And uh, I had no reactions uh, as of uh, during the administration and it was over by in a half an hour to 45 minutes. I stood there, I, I I was observed probably for half an hour more and I had my lunch and I walked out. And then towards the evening, Four hours, I had a fever uh, close to one or two, or even higher. That took some time to come down. I mean, I had to use. Uh, uh, they, they have uh, they had asked me to keep the IV cannula for 24 hours, just in case. I had kept it. That the rebound fever was there, and it subsided with a couple of tablets of uh, Dolo and some uh, tepid sponging. After that, there was no issue at all. I mean, I was uh, all right after 48 hours. My personal interest in this monoclonal antibodies in COVID began when I personally treated a couple of patients who were really sick. The other antibody, monoclonal antibody, which of course we it is not under discussion because which which is given slightly later, which I gave maybe 15 days before myself, which really got me going into this monoclonal therapies in COVID was bevacizumab, which was a, like a small elder brother of tocilizumab. I really gave that to one of my patients who were really close to me and who was really uh, at 10 days, at day 10, who was having a high flow oxygen and he was just going into an NIV. He became all right after 48 hours. I personally feel with whatever research I have done, with uh, whatever all these papers and also patient experiences and what it is given. Monoclonal therapy, monoclonal antibodies is the therapy which will make us beat this COVID pandemic. Yes, presently the cost is, the vial costs 1200. 1200 mg vials are available and you will be given only 600 mg, two vials, so you will be paid full. And if someone else takes uh, a vial is kept for about 72 hours, if someone else takes, they will repay you back another uh, half of it. The total amount charged was about 1.2 and you will be repaid back. That's about the monetary aspects of it. And sir, uh, what was your
0: antibody level
3: when you checked before the before the yes, I, I even before I thought it would be positive, I knew it would be positive. If there is a chance I should take it. So I gave my antibodies. IgG levels were around 0.8. But I don't think so. There is any correlation with the antibodies, with the clinical symptom, and whether they will protect you in the long run. That's the main problem of measuring this. Yes, of course, people suggested to measure uh, spikes protein specific antibodies, which is done by Tenet, and uh, which we are doing it by the help of Tenet. And those are really, I, I think, more than one fifty. A rough, rough estimate I am giving you. I don't think that we can, I can back any uh, data to uh, uh, back my whatever I'm saying. But then this is a, like you said, an informal thing, just to, if I suggest someone, I would see if it is that spike protein antibody are more than 150, then I would really not uh, really push, uh, especially a guy who is vaccinated. I think he would have been all right. Uh, Just for an example to this the person from whom i got it was also a doctor and his spike protein antibodies was 170 170 and he 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 still took it because uh, he was in a high risk zone about 67 years and diabetic and all and but he still took it and he became alright after 48 hours so the antibodies uh, are really protecting and we will, will really will stop you not going into your high-risk subset uh, that's a big question mark presently in our present research in our present knowledge of COVID, the risk we estimate as a cardiologist we do risk estimation day in and day out but we have the habit of doing it over a period of time but the point of risk estimation when it comes to covid is you can estimate it only at a point of time you don't know what's going to happen next 48, next 48, once seven days crosses. Uh, and you lose this window of not giving this antibody, which is best when it given between five to seven days window. And then you are already into this uh, immune phase where you have lost this uh, horse has already bolted. That's the main issue with uh, this COVID and
0: antibodies. Sir, did you get your spike protein specific antibody
3: tested? Is that what it is called? Spike protein specific antibody? Yes, it's called spike protein specific antibody. I did not get tested that because I only knew that it would be called that only after getting the routine IgG. My IgG was around 0.87. Of course, to say that it was higher than my wife's, my wife's was only 0.5, and she was negative and she never had any symptoms
0: and uh, i am guessing that uh, anything less than 6 is considered negative is that
3: correct as per the report given less than 1 is considered negative
0: less than 1 is considered negative okay okay alright
3: the, uh, the lab there uh, it was considered igg less than 1 is basically non protective and considered to be negative as per their report
0: Perfect So anything more than 1 will be considered positive and uh, I'm sure all of us have seen uh, patient reports where their IgG levels are. More than 200, more than 250 so whether that really. Uh, means that they are super protected from the virus or not. I don't know. Maybe if somebody has an idea they can share their thought. But, uh, does anyone know why it is why the vials are coming in 1200 milligrams and not 600 milligrams? Why is this whole idea of, uh. Two doses in one vial because it unnecessarily increases the cost, and uh, we really can't be that lucky to have two patients going in at the same time to get the antibody dosing. Does anybody has any clue why why there are two doses in one vial?
3: If I may answer Anup regarding that, what I have uh, watched and what I have learned. See, the data is they have tested it with 1,200, 2,400, and 600, and no, and placebo. Hmm. As per their initial that whatever article and their recommendation and I think what Donald Trump caught was twelve hundred.
0: Okay. When, when
3: they interpolated those results and with this and our Caucasian and our uh, subsets with the low uh, body mass and all that, they I think they made this correction of only six hundred is enough. That's what I, I get to know. I can't say the source, It was all an official talk, which I can I say
0: we have dr karthik vishal with us dr karthik is a critical care specialist at yashoda karthik sir you heard the entire clinical discussion and the story your thoughts whatever we have been discussing so far
6: yeah uh, so thank you anup for uh, and dr Pranith for having me here and i have been patiently listening to the whole discussion and it was really an interesting discussion that we had and i'm glad uh, dr vempathi vishwanath sir also made a happy ending and uh, a fast recovery. Uh, so, uh, I, I would like to make uh, two observations regarding the uh, the subset in where you have to use monoclonal antibodies. It, is, it has already been talked about to stop uh, over usage of these antibodies. It's mostly indicated in those group of patients who are considered high risk. And uh, since most of you cardiologists are there, hypertension. Patients having hypertension is also one of the, uh, uh, what do I say, Uh, uh, a risk factor for having a progressive or a severe COVID disease. And apart from hypertension, there are many other factors like obesity and uh, uh, patients who are having uh, uh, immunosuppressed state. And like like the list goes on. So most of the patients who come with an early uh, COVID disease, and uh, mostly have one of these cofact- uh, these risk factors and uh, rightfully giving them uh, monoclonal antibodies the earliest would help. But uh, I would like to make another uh, observation regarding these antibody observations in whether you are considering monoclonal or whether you are seeing for the efficacy of vaccination. It also depends on the type of vaccine that you are taking. Uh, we have vaccines which are on two different platforms. We have vaccines which are... Basically, give immunity through T cell mediated immunity and uh, vaccines which have, uh, which are giving you immunity through a B cell uh, mediated immunity more. Like you have covishield shield, it has an adenovirus which infects the cell, and once it cell is infected, then your T cell immunity kicks in, and uh, that is the predominant immunity that you'll have with this vaccine. But if you consider uh, vaccines that are given in the West, like this Moderna or your, the Um, uh, the Pfizer dose vaccine, they are basically B cell antibody mediated responses. So if you have to compare for all these vaccines with a single uh, test like uh, IgG, uh, it wouldn't be a right approach. Like uh, Dr. Guru Prasad also was telling that there are three different types of uh, uh, antibodies that are generated. One is the The trimeric uh, anti spike protein, the domain receptor binding protein and neutralizing antibodies, neutralizing antibodies are mostly done in uh, laboratory conditions. uh, But we have the spike protein that is being done quite often and the T cell immunity response. We don't judge it because we don't have the test for lab level to interpret these data. So just seeing the uh, antibody IgG levels, it's not fair to judge the response of the vaccine. And, uh, but at all, uh, how we practice is, we do look at the inflammatory mediators before before we administer to the monoclonal antibodies. So that is one way, uh, probably that was not seen in the earlier studies that were uh, forming the basis for the usage of monoclonal antibodies. But if you have inflammatory mediators which are high, say, like the D-dimo ferritin, then probably that patient wouldn't be an ideal patient for taking monoclonal uh, antibody. If you have the inflammatory which are on, on the lower side or near normal seronegative patients uh, or having age of more than 65 years and with uh, one of those risk factors, they would be an ideal patients who, to whom we can uh, give these monoclonal antibodies. Uh, these are... Few of my observations, and most of them have been already discussed uh, at length. So I don't have any more to add to them.
0: So, Karthik sir, if I heard you correctly, you said if the if the inflammatory markers are high, then they are not a good candidate for antibody therapy. Did I hear you correct?
6: That is a a kind of practice that few of us are following, but uh, it's not scientifically backed. The scientific literature definitely uh, tells you about the uh, oxygen requirement. That is one of the parameters that you take up. Uh, if you have a oxygen saturation of more than 93, would be uh, ideal candidate. Age would be an another factor, and the third one would be the comorbidities. And the uh, earliest that you give the in the studies they have given within f- three days uh some studies have given within 7 days of having a positive report so these are the literature back data what i am talking to you about is uh, personal based observation and how we go about it
0: so that we understand so the rationale of of uh, of not giving therapy or i would say that uh, making a patient less attractive of an uh, candidate when 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 inflammatory markers are high is it because the rationale is that the inflammation has already set in, so there is no point giving the uh, antibodies? Is that the thought process is the thought process? That
6: are exactly. Uh, probably they wouldn't be uh, categorized as a mild uh, COVID disease where the, the antibody cocktail has a major role. Probably these patients are already set into an inflammatory cascade. So, these patients wouldn't have much benefit by taking the uh, cocktail regimen. That is what the thought process is.
5: I see. I see. If you allow me, I'm like, can I? Yes, yes, sir.
6: Yeah. Yes, uh, one thing about
5: the uh, same thing. So, the when you're interpreting an inflammatory marker, you need to understand the stage of the disease. For example, uh, somebody does a CRP on the second day, and its CRP is around 50 or 60. I'm um, like I would understand that is because of the infection and the viremia part, and he is a candidate who likely responds to the this kind of therapies. Whereas you do the same CRP on maybe a tenth day or eleventh day, it indicates that he is in an inflammatory phase. So that that basically indicates that he is in an adverse stage, maybe a moderate disease or more than that. So the most important thing is to understand the chronology of the after the symptom onset. Perfect. Thank you.
0: Uh, One question that has been asked is: Is there any contraindication to monoclonal antibody other than obviously a previous anaphylactic reaction? uh, Karthik sir or uh, Deepak sir, anybody? Is there any contraindication?
5: Obvious Mm -hmm. anaphylaxis or hypersensitivity, as everyone knows. And uh, the groups which were not investigated were the pediatric age groups and the I'm like the weight less than forty kg's. But I don't think any other obvious contraindications which I'm aware of.
6: No, no, no. I am not aware of any such contraindications to monoclonal antibody. Perfect. Thank you so much, sir.
0: Guru, sir, I'm going to come back to you for one last direct question of mine, and then we will see if uh, attendees have any questions. Sir, uh, the last point of discussion that I wanted to have was it's been more than one year that we. No, and we have been treating COVID now. If a patient like this comes to you, other than antibody cocktail that we discussed, what are we doing early on? What kind of blood investigations are we doing as a general, as a general patient that we are talking about? Uh, what kind of therapy are we putting them on? Are we still doing the old school antibodies? The role of remdesivir in these kind of cases? If you could just briefly, for two or three minutes, give us a guidance of how, like, what all we have learned. In
4: the last close to 15, 14, 15 months now, and what we are practicing now. Guru, sir. Yeah, so uh, uh, it's been a a long one year, as you said, and various therapies have come and gone and have been thrown out of the window. Uh, But what has stood the test of time has been uh, uh, the good old dexameth zone. Uh, Remdesivir plus minus, some people uh, say that Remdesivir works, some people say Remdesivir doesn't work. Uh, but uh, in, if you want to talk about uh, my experience, I can talk about it because even the guidelines which have which have come up actually, uh, which recent guidelines which have come up in n e j m also, they talk about remdesivir as a effective antiviral. Though it doesn't reduce the mortality, but it definitely reduces the uh, time to uh, uh, hospital recovery and the amount of days uh, on oxygen therapy. So uh, the earlier we use remdesivir, it's always better because. Uh, It acts best when you are giving it in the viremic phase, as same as monoclonal antibody. Uh, So uh, I think, uh, but in a patient who is already vaccinated, I would actually wait for a couple of days more because the window period for me for remdesivir is actually a little more than for monoclonal antibody. Uh, And I can give remdesivir to a patient who's hospitalized and who is hypoxic along with my uh, steroid therapy. So uh, for a patient who is vaccinated, I would really wait. Initial tests, you're talking about, Anoop, uh, uh, what we are asking, what I ask for in my patients is a complete uh, a CBP. Uh, there are a lot of data now on, uh, on your NL ratio, which is a, a neutrophil lymphocyte ratio. So uh, if this ratio is more than 3.5, generally uh, patients are, uh, we have observed that uh, these patients tend to deteriorate. Mind you, this is an NBL ratio is for patients who have not received steroids, because the moment you get steroids, it is lympholytic, so obviously a neutrophil count will go up. So in a patient without steroids, an initial presentation NBL ratio is one of the uh, best markers to tell you whether uh, one of the really fair markers to tell you whether the patient is going to, you know, uh, uh, go down in his clinical course. So uh, asking for ferritin, LDH, C-reactive protein, uh, uh, you know, they all probably add to the cost and i've seen a lot of people having a covid profile where they're doing a procalcitonin and uh, a lot of the tests also i think this is one marker i think if we i wish we could use uh, uh, more in our clinical practice because i have we have we have now all the data collected of almost 100 plus patients with nbl ratio and correlating with their uh, clinical progression and has found to have uh, literally you uh, know uh, correlated with their clinical course in the hospital uh, so i generally ask for a nbl ratio uh, and apart from that, if the patient is already crossing five days, a D-dimer to look at his thromboinflammation inflammation and uh, put them on uh, low molecular heparin if the uh, if uh, the, the D-dimers are elevated. Apart from that, I have rarely asked for C-reactive protein or ferritin or LDH in my clinical practice, especially in the outpatient department. I have relied more on NBL ratio. Our pathologist is there who tells me the ratio. And if it's more than 3.5, yes, I've seen that they have actually gone on for a hospital admission. So uh, coming to the uh, third part of the discussion was that uh, Dr. Vishwakrant was talking about uh, Bevisumab, which is Avastin. Uh, it was, it is used generally for uh, diabetic retinopathy. Uh, it is an anti angiogenesis it's an anti-VEGF uh, antibody actually. Uh, so uh, we have a study which is now just accepted and about to be published now on Bevisumab. We used in around uh, uh, 15 patients uh, by and our and our, uh, our distinct data is pretty encouraging. What we could uh, we could uh, get out of Bivastumab. Uh as compared to MAP, this actually doesn't increase the chance of infections. It is anti-angiogenesis, so it reduces the pulmonary edema in a patient the vascular leakage in the in the in the in the lungs. So it's a very very uh, you know attractive proposition for uh, for people. The only uh, Deterrent is the cost. It, uh, the original molecule Avastin costs around one point, approximately 1.1 1. 1 lakhs. The lesser one from CIPLA costs around 59,000 rupees. But if you compare it vis-a-vis a patient going onto a ventilator and st- and once, what I've observed, uh, uh, Anoop, is that the moment a patient goes onto a ventilator in COVID, it is going to be a long haul. So uh, it's like it is really a very long haul. It is unlike a patient with swine flu or other cause of ARDS where we know within 72 hours the patient is going to come out or not. Either the patient recovers or the patient doesn't recover. It's, it's as simple as that. But in COVID, the, the patient just keeps on prolonging. They go into ECMO, ECMO plus minus ECMO. And I'm sure all the intensivists who are there must have experienced this. So, that's why we have a problem with beds in, in COVID because once the patient goes into the ICU, it's like two, three weeks in the ICU with the ventilator on. Uh, so now, again, I would tell all the people who are there in this uh, in this forum, is that uh, if possible, please use antiviral therapy as soon as, as, as soon as possible. Monoclonal antibody, if cost is not an issue, probably uh, use that if, uh, if, if cost is not an issue. And use of Remdesivir. I've been a proponent of uh, Remdesivir, that it, it works. It definitely works if used early on in the disease. Perfect, thank you so much, sir. Uh...
0: Kartik sir for 2 minutes if you could quickly suggest to me what you are doing in your contemporary practice for uh, not so sick covid patient in the current era Karthik
6: sir uh, i think kartik might be yeah
0: dipak sir if you could if yeah. you could uh, share your experience
5: real quick yes Yes, I think uh, I perfectly agree with uh, Gurprasad sir. So for me, everything is I'm mean, like the about the timing in COVID. So you need to anticipate the high risk patients. You need to start whatever the antivirals you have at hand earlier. And if once your uh, time is over, I think nothing works. Right, once your inflammation has started, only the steroids and TOSI is there. Apart from it. Nothing major will work. And once the patient goes on to an advanced oxygen support or uh, maybe a NIV or more than that, I think uh, nothing, I'm like, it's going to consume your time, energy, and personal. That's it. And about the antibody cocktail and all, one thing I would like to say is the recovery trial, basically, which has showed the benefit. There's a line that I think uh, when you don't do an antibody on a larger scale for everyone was included, there's not much of a difference of the outcomes. So you need to select your patients very clearly uh, at least at our place. We don't give to the patients who, do, who have an antibody, uh, at least at the anti spike protein antibodies. Uh, second thing is more important thing is there may be a possibility of emergence of resistance uh, as more and more variants come. So you need to salvage this therapy and uh, keep it in your armamentarium. Uh, one good thing is, uh, I think there was a proof that uh, it, it works for all the variants, which are there now. So that is one good thing so it should be a judicious use remdesivir uh, yeah as uh, sar has told i think i was also one of the persons who supported usage of the remdesivir but again it depends on the stage of the disease most of the trials which were done earlier were done in the later part of the disease but i think i think two days back the veteran affairs trial came and it was showing that Till now, we know that remdesivir may work or may not work. It may work in some places. But now this trial has showed that uh, it may actually increase the duration of hospitalization. So now it, uh, I think it will be in the cupboard of uh, convulsant plasma. Uh, but I'm, I'm not really sure about that. For us, the TOSI actually worked it. At our place, I think uh, TOSI, for us, it depends on the timing. If you really decide your patient who is actually going into the storm, for us, the TOSI has given a very good result. Bevasage at our place, I think uh, we have we have used it for some patients, but uh incidence of DAC has prevented us uh from using for more and more patients. Steroids, one one thing I could say is once you go above one mg per kg or two mg per kg, not more than that. I and at least in our practice, we found that uh, there's not much of a use. And uh, for us, most of the cases now are with the mucat. So we are fed up. Everyone is asking about how much dose of steroid are you actually giving to the patient, or even the patient's attendants are asking. So that's it.
0: Perfect, thank you so much, uh, Deepak sir. May I ask uh, Sumaraju sir to give his comments on today's topic and the discussion that we had, and if he has anything to add? Sumaraju sir, good
2: evening to you all. Uh, thank you, Anup. Uh, uh, I must congratulate Vishakranth uh, 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 for coming out openly and uh, also congratulations for the wonderful recovery, Vishakranth. And uh, having said that, uh, I, uh, I don't have to tell you why I am not a specialist in this area. I have a general interest in medicine overall. Having said that, uh, one thing simple I can say is uh, the monoclonal antibodies uh, from the experience of some many of you mentioned, and Vishwarkand's experience and our colleagues at uh, the place I am practicing, they have a uh, very positive thing to say, and most of the patients are helped. But again, uh, having said that, uh, it is repeatedly emphasized it, ha- it helps in the initial phase of the illness. But uh, uh, it is also, some people go out of the way to say it harms the late phase of the disease. But be aware. Whether it is the initial phase of the disease or middle stage of the disease or late stage of any disease. No disease is a singular entity. Just like myocardial infarction is not a single disease, even late phase of COVID is not a single disease. And uh, absence of proof that uh, it doesn't help is not proof enough. Absence of proof is not proof of absence. Be aware of studying and following up on patients where the answers are not simple and then uh, I have a feeling we have a tendency to just uh, uh, take shelter under some publications uh, most recent don't get into it and then uh, what helps in the initial phase uh, may not harm uh, some of the patients may help some patients may harm some patients it's like saying you know Late phase of sepsis and septic shock, antibiotics won't help. And uh, somebody tells you uh, that antibiotics also harm, you want to believe it. So don't oversimplify it. Went through this in other phases of illness. This type of illness we never saw uh, in medicine and uh, we are very ignorant about it and only some aspects we know now. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, sir. And I think it is it is very relevant. My biggest concern, whenever I'm dealing with COVID discussion and COVID treatment protocols and the available therapy and what we have seen in the last one one and a half years, my biggest concern is that we are all desperate. We as a patients are desperate. We as a clinicians are desperate. We are looking for a quick, simple, easy solution. Which unfortunately we are not finding. So what ends up happening is anything which gives us a ray of hope, we use it to the point of misusing it. And that is literally what happened with call it remdesivir, call it dexamethasone. I have had patients who are giving who are being given one gram of solumidrol daily for God knows how long. And these are happening in established hospitals. And I don't know. Maybe there is a theory behind giving one thousand milligrams of solimetrol I don't know. Uh, Sorbital is with so I don't know. But the idea here is that my, that the fear comes of are we are our actions making the drugs not work rather than the drug itself. Be it plasma, be it remdesivir, be it steroids, and now in this case, monoclonal antibodies. And the second fear comes is. That when we do think that any of these therapy. Are helpful then the whole race comes around, whether we can give this therapy to every single person, and no matter what is the situation. It's too difficult for us to figure out how to select a patient just just randomly give it to every person. What ends up happening is what was happening a few months ago where. Nobody in India, nowhere in India could be found nowhere in India could be found and. For various human behaviors, be it on the patient side, be it on the doctor side, be it on the authority side. So, my fear is A, just rampant use of a drug at places where it does not belong. And B, when something like this happens, drug doesn't become available to begin with. And we have seen that multiple times. It doesn't seem like we are learning from what is happening. And by B, I don't necessarily mean doctors as a general, but as a community, we keep making same and same error. Every single time. So here's my one last question, and then if anybody has got any other thoughts, we'll take up, otherwise, we'll close. Here is one last question that I have to all the attendees here. How easily is monoclonal antibody available right now? Does anybody know? Mr. Krancer or or any of our uh, experts? Is it difficult right now? Can we get it immediately? What is the situation? Is any Indian company making it? Anyone, Mr. Crancer?
3: Uh, for me, I mean, I should say I was lucky it was there. I just walked in today. I mean, there was no, but, uh. When asked for the doctor whom I suggested. Or my source or someone it took 24 hours for them to get to the hospital. I mean, maybe if it will take a day, that's the present scenario. I think so with better. Uh, logic sticks, I think so present load it is available we can't say the same maybe a month later but presently i think there is not a big list of waiting list people who would want to take and it's not available that scenario is not there yet
0: guru sir you think we are going to misuse the antibody therapy and what is the availability scenario if you can give us some
4: idea so uh, anup you made a very interesting observation that we keep on making the same errors Again and again, you know. So I can see that happening now. It's not at the level of healthcare professionals, but it's at the level of the community. Again, people are behaving as if you know it's like one and a half months back that people are posting WhatsApp videos saying that please give a bed to my father, to my brother. We were getting desperate calls in midnight saying that there is no oxygen bed available. And now people are outside without masks, eating chart, eating panipuris, nothing has happened. So the your point that we keep ma- making that same mistake again and again is very much valid. And I wish that we could start from the grassroots about uh, having appropriate COVID behavior, uh, you know, uh, number one. Second is, yeah, availability in a population-rich country like India is always going to be uh, an issue, be it uh, something like as basic as oxygen, where people were uh, left. I think the scenes were still have not left my mind where people were outside in the ambulance in Delhi. Uh, struggling for uh, oxygen and people died in the hospital because the oxygen got finished off and uh, got emptied. So uh, it is going to be a challenge. So when we're talking about monoclonal antibody, we're talking about an extremely expensive drug. So its shortage is also going to be there, hoarding is going to be there, black marketing is going to be there. We have seen all this and it's going to start from uh, the kind of behavior which we are following right now where we are in denial again and thinking that COVID is not there anymore. That is very unfortunate, but I think the next we are waiting for the next disaster to happen again.
0: And sir, this, this truly is my biggest concern because if we do have a drug that works, first of all, that there is too many ifs. Uh, if we do have a drug that works early on, it certainly seems like there is some positive signal out of it. Of course it's a costly drug. And anything regarding COVID is new, we don't have 10-year data with us. Uh, See,
4: I'll tell the logistics to you. I'll tell logistics to you. See? You, we were using Remdesivir for hospitalized patients, okay, which was only 15% of, of the people who were infected, right? So we had a shortage of Remdesivir. Can you believe that? To cater to 15% of infected people, we had a shortage. Now the guidelines for monoclonal antibody, you just see it is for any patient who is infected within the first five days. So we don't have time to assess the patient who is going to get hospitalized. It is for an outpatient. So any patient who has COVID should, by technicality, uh, get this monoclonal antibody. If you strictly follow guidelines, then a BMI of more than 35 or age of more than 65, 55 with hypertension or any other comorbidities, or a patient having asthma or a patient having diabetes. Now, every third person in Hyderabad is a diabetic, OK? So just see the burden of disease now if you get a third wave and how many people will be, uh, you know, kind of eligible to get monoclonal antibody. And then you do the maths and then uh, figure out that, you know, why we will not have a shortage.
0: Absolutely, sir, your point is absolutely well taken and I think this is 1 concern. So, as a healthcare professional, we certainly need to continue to educate people, not just in terms of disease, but also in terms of their behavior. So that. a, we try not to get into the kind of disaster that we had a couple of months ago and b. Also to try and see how we can ration this drug in a better way so that at least people who are at the highest risk strata uh, they get uh, to get this drug. We are We have seven minutes out of uh, our scheduled time. If anybody has got any final comments, otherwise we'll go for the closing comments from Dr. Pranith. One more minute if anybody has got any final comments. Okay, if not, then uh, Pranith, uh, your closing comments for today's session
1: yeah uh one of a kind uh, discussion where uh, we had so called bedside clinical case discussion uh, getting the patient himself and asking the questions and uh, doing a kind of an interrogation so very interesting thank you again wishwaram sir for accommodating it's been a pleasure uh, listening to you and thank you guru deepak and uh, kartik for your uh, thought process i think uh, Definitely a lot of questions answered about antibody cocktail, when to use, how to use and where to get. And uh, I hope uh, the COVID crisis will not bother us more. And I hope the one who deserves this cocktail and get benefited should deserve this. And he should not uh, uh, be in a position where he's not able to get these things. And I hope this drug uh, uh, does make patients as well as uh, what Dr. Vishwakant was uh, Got the benefit, so I think uh excellent discussion, and i I believe uh, many more discussions should uh, happen like this. Thank you one and all for the, making this uh, discussion fruitful.
0: Thanks pranit and thank you all of you for attending. Special thanks to Mr. sir. I think this has been a repeated thank thing.
3: You, thanks. so many times, man. After all, I am your colleague Noli, thank <laughs> you very much. It was a joy for me too. <laughs>
0: And, uh, uh, for for attendees who joined today, but who has not been a part of our WhatsApp group, I have put in the link in the chat box. What we tend to do is once the session is done. Uh, for any comments for any discussion that we want to continue from here on, we do it on the WhatsApp group. So, if you are not a part of it, please click a link on uh, on. Please click on the link and uh, you will be joined to the group where we discuss mostly. The fallout of what, uh, we have left. From uh, uh, that Wednesday's discussion and the upcoming uh, sessions as well. And uh, as most of, you know, all the, all the. Uh, huddle sessions they're recorded and we upload it on YouTube and podcast. You can simply just go and search for the weekly hurdle and you will get the previous recording. So that you can uh, listen to it uh, in your leisure time when you're driving, when you're at the gym, when you're walking something, uh, rather than just, uh, Playing old music or something like that. So with that, I would like to close and again, thank you all for attending. We we do this every Wednesday at 7 o'clock and we will see you next Wednesday with a new topic. Thank you all. Good night.